I'd like you to turn with me to Psalm 27, verses 4 through 8. I'll just be reading 4 through 8. And this is the Word of God. And we're thinking about seeking Him today. King David said, One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret place of his tabernacle, he shall hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. Therefore, I will offer sacrifices of joy in his tabernacle. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, Have mercy also upon me and answer me. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, Lord, I will seek. Let's pray. Father, we're coming now before you also, hearing the same command, the same invitation to seek your face. And I pray that you would open our eyes to your precious word, that we would seek you and rejoice in you with all our hearts. And we praise you and ask this, in the precious name of Jesus, amen. Please be seated. I'd like to start with a quote today from someone who's famous to you all. This is a man who sought the Lord uh, most of his adult life uh, with all that was within, within him, and he did it by faith, as Pastor Kaiser was sharing. This man, if I asked you the question, who do you think in England, maybe in the 1800s anyway, uh, was an example of a man of faith? And you might say George Mueller. This quote is from George Mueller. The primary business I must attend to every day is the fellowship with the Lord. And then he went on. The first concern is not how much I might serve the Lord, but how my inner man might be nourished. I may share the truth with the unconverted, I may try to encourage believers, I may relieve the distressed, or I may in other ways seek to behave as a child of God. Yet, not being happy in the Lord and not being nourished and strengthened in my inner man day by day may result in this work, this good work that he mentioned, this work being done in the wrong spirit. And I would add, being done in the flesh, being done without the joy of the Lord. Through this text for today, I'll be sharing about, obviously, our personal devotions, more focused on our personal devotions. It's about seeking the Lord in our personal fellowship with him, which should be, I believe, the prime discipline for each of us in our lives, in our daily lives. And regarding spiritual disciplines, 1 Timothy 4.8 says that, uh, talks about bodily exercise and spiritual exercise, but it says that bodily exercise is good for your health, of course, uh, but the discipline of spiritual exercise is even better because it says this, in that it gives promise for the life that now is and the life that is to come. Spiritual discipline. So training in godliness requires discipline. We had, is it four or five years ago, we focused on spiritual disciplines and we all know uh, basically what those are. And it is a, a training program we are on. And building strong relationships with anybody requires some planning and some discipline, I believe, 
and some regular fellowship. And if you don't plan to grow in your relationship with the Lord and discipline yourself in that uh, desire, you will always be struggling, I believe, to orient your day and your week and your month, your whole life really, to orient your life to that priority. That is seeking the Lord. That is knowing him and obeying him. In Psalm 90, Moses prayed. He asked uh, for the people of God. He prayed this. He said, so teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And since we are stewards, dear family, of the living God, and we are servants of our king, our time, of course, is not our own. Our use of time must be planned to please our king and our master. Most of the, you have a copy of this book by Don Whitney. It's called Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life. I have a few left in the office. That was the book we handed out four or five years ago. And I'll be referring to a chapter in this that we have been studying with the young men. Uh, actually, we haven't done that for a little while yet. I'd like to get back to it. We studied half of the chapter on silence and solitude. And it was a great blessing for us in that discussion and that time of prayer. And that was at least six weeks ago, probably. So I'll be sharing from that a little bit this morning. It's one reason this was on my heart and mind. And I'd like to ask you a question here in terms of just thinking of application. Ask yourself this. So I'll be in the first person. So what kind of effort do I make to be with the Lord? What kind of commitment do I have to have focused, personal devotion time with my Lord Jesus, with the one who died for me? Jesus said to Martha in Luke 10, one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen the good part, which will not be taken from her, away from her. So Jesus was commending Mary here for choosing the one needful thing. Martha was also a very focused person. She focused on one thing too. But the priority of the time was that Jesus was there. Mary recognized that. She chose to be near him. And Psalm 73 comes often to my mind when I'm thinking about uh, my heart seeking after the Lord Jesus. And in that, the psalmist asked a question uh, to the Lord. He was praying to the Lord. And he asked this question in prayer, uh, indicating that he, he was seeking the Lord alone. He knew he must do this. And he said, whom have I in heaven but you? Who else is there? There is no other God. And then he went on. He said, there is none upon earth that I desire besides you, or nothing, or no one, in a sense. His prime hunger was to know the Lord Jesus. There's none upon earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. He is my portion. How can I not seek him? And then near the end of Psalm 73, it said, the psalmist said, it is good for me to draw near to the Lord. It is good for me. Psalm 105, verse three says, uh, let the hearts of those rejoice who seek the Lord. Now, people who seek the Lord, I believe, have great reason for joy. And we should rejoice because the Lord has made it possible for us. Phil shared that. Uh, We can only seek him because he brought us to himself. And we should find in him um, our joy and our purpose in life. He sacrificed himself that we might be able to draw near to him. And because we can seek him now, In fact, he's commanded us to seek him and he's enabled it by his spirit, given us a a hunger, which I'll talk about in a minute. 
We can pray, seek the Lord and his strength, seek his face evermore. We can pray that for ourselves. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face, seek his face evermore. So we're to seek him and we're to seek his strength and we're to seek his face evermore. Seeking his face means seeking intimately to know him, to uh, be in his presence and to seek his favor, to seek that relationship with him so that we know him and to do it for our whole life. In other words, to seek him continuously. And this seeking is, again, a loving command of our heavenly father because the Lord knows that we need to know him and to experience him. And without the joy that we have in drawing near to him, even the process of seeking him is a, should be a joy, uh, the Christian life can become something to just carry out rather than living for him and walking with him and living in the joy of the Lord. That's what he desires for us. And David had a heart like that. And his priority in verse four, in fact, his joyful discipline, I believe, was to seek the Lord at all times. He said, one thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. He had a passion, a hunger, a thirst. So what was the one thing David desired? That he was seeking and being in the temple. He, he went to the temple. He always wanted to go to the temple to be in the house of the Lord. It wasn't primarily to be in that nice building or uh, to be there with others. He loved that too, or to hear the music. He was eager. He was longing to behold the beauty of the Lord. And he said all the days of his life, not just when he was at the temple, but that impelled him. It gave him delight. David wanted to be where God is, in other words, to be with God, to worship him at the temple and to yearn for him like the sons of Korah said in Psalm 42, as the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? When can I go again? He had an eagerness to meet with the Lord and to do so with the saints. And in verse four of Psalm 42, the psalmist said, I used to go with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God with the voice of joy and praise. Shouting, I believe, joy, joyful praise. And I believe one of the greatest blessings, my dear family, that I experience from worshiping with you every Lord's Day, every Lord's Day I can, that he allows me to, is that it greatly moves me and encourages me to seek the Lord with you. We need each other in this. We, we don't do that alone. I mean, we, maybe I'm talking about solitary, uh, being solitary with him. But we cannot do this without each other. In fact, you are all a, a part of his teaching me to seek him. I praise God for that. So the psalmist had a strong desire. He had a thirst for God, and so he sought the Lord, and he made uh, efforts to seek him even more. He was not content in this sense, anyway, he was not content with just knowing about God. He wanted to behold the beauty of the Lord, like David. And it may seem like that is just uh, more emotional or a matter of the heart. But it also requires, as I've mentioned, us to plan and to expend mental uh, energy and even physical effort in the seeking in order to behold the beauty of the Lord. 
It's not just mental. Our minds and our wills and our emotions are all involved in this seeking, every part of us that he's made. So thirst for God is another way of saying desire for God. It's a synonym, I believe, for strong desire, not just desire, strong desire to know God. And more than just strong, it's passionate. In fact, really, you could call it life-preserving. It's life-preserving. Think about panting for water. If you don't get water, you're in trouble. And I never want, dear family, if you want to pray something for me, I never want a time in my life where I am not thirsting for more of him. Not seeking to more, know more of him and enjoying his presence more. I don't want a mediocre walk with the one who loved me and died for me. I don't want a lax desire for him. Yes, it does go up and down, and I'll talk about that in a minute, but I don't ever want uh, to accept a distant relationship from my Savior. Nor should anyone, really, redeemed by the Lord, be content in that situation for very long. Our commitment to a regular time of devotion with the Lord Jesus helps us to be thirstier for him, to receive then the living, more of the living water that we need in the dry and thirsty land we live in. And if, if this physical sense, it sounds strange to want to be thirsty, you know, we're always drinking and that's a good thing. Uh, I found out I think I need to do more of that. You know, God made us to be thirsty physically because uh, we need water to live. And I looked this up, I had done that for a while. We need fluids, obviously, to live. Our bodies are 60% water. Uh, but as Christians, our spiritual thirst is different. There should never be a time when we are not thirsty, not hungering and thirsting more even to be nearer to our Lord. And as we see his beauty, we were made to want to see it more. And if you are not thirsty for him, dear, dear family, and thus you are not seeking him eagerly right now as you maybe did before, but for some reason right now you aren't, ask him to make you thirsty and hungry for him, even now. And as we become thirsty for a closer walk with the Lord and for a closer relationship with him, he has said that he can fulfill that. That kind of thirst he can fulfill. And even enlarge, I believe, our capacity to take in more of the living water. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled or they shall be satisfied. God initiates spiritual thirst so that he can satisfy it glorify his name and show how loving he is again. That he can meet our thirst and he can show us himself. Praise God. Charles Spurgeon said uh, in his commentary on Psalm 42, the next best thing to living in the light of the Lord's love is to be unhappy until we have it and to pant hourly after it. To be thirsty for God and to have a longing to be with him is good for us and it drives us to him. Jonathan Edwards said this, spiritual good is of a satisfying nature. And for that very reason, the soul that tastes and knows its nature will thirst after it and a fullness of it that it may be satisfied. And the more he experiences and the more he knows this excellent, unparalleled, exquisite, satisfying sweetness, the more earnestly he will hunger and thirst for more. May you hunger and thirst for him. He can satisfy that. King David made it a practice to commune with the Lord and he was like a person who knows the habit uh, or maybe you could say the discipline of drinking a lot of water. Sherry has urged me to do that much more recently. 
And people who thirst after God still desire more because God is increasing their capacity to take in more of him, more of the living water. In other words, to be filled with the spirit so that we might see our Lord Jesus. But for all believers, it is God who initiates spiritual thirst, as Phil said. He calls us through the Holy Spirit. And even then, through the Spirit and the Word, he gives us the means to satisfy that. Psalm 107, verse 9 says, he satisfies the longing soul. He satisfies the longing soul. Are you longing more for him? When David became aware that God was drawing him near and had invited him, uh, commanded him, seek my face, David's heart cried out, your face, Lord, I will seek. And I believe God, through the Spirit, works in our hearts and commands us also in the same way to come to him and to taste and see his goodness because he is loving, because he is gracious. And so let's respond like David. I'll do that, Lord. I will seek your face. I'll do all I can by your grace to seek you. I'll discipline myself to meet with you, to be alone with you, and to seek your face in my quiet time. Verse five says, for in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret place of his tabernacle, he shall hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock. So David is seeking to be hidden with God. In other words, to be with God in the secret place, a place where his soul could find rest. David longed also for a physical place where no one could interfere with his communion with the Lord or no one could harm him there in that place or distract him there in that place. So it's not public, not like the Pharisees. They love to show off and be public about their spirituality. Psalm 84 says, how lovely is your tabernacle, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God, as David did. May we cry out like this. May our hearts cry out in a similar way as King David. We prayed on last Wednesday, on the Wednesday night prayer time, Psalm 63. Oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. It was determined. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you. Every part of his existence in a dry and thirsty land where there's no water. So I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. He expected to. He wanted to. He was looking for God to see his power and glory. Like Moses asked, please show me your glory. Now David's heart and soul was eager to know God and to be near him in the temple, to be in the presence of the Lord. And he remembered having his dry soul watered before, having his dry soul satisfied, and he sought for that again as he worshiped him. Psalm 63, verse five, my soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness. I was talking with one of the men I met with this week about uh, what it's like to eat a lot of fat. You can be really satisfied. There are a lot of calories in eating fat. My soul, David said, shall be satisfied with marrow and fatness and my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. When I am satisfied like that in my heart, Lord Jesus, with you. When I remember you on my bed, I meditate you on, uh, in the night watches. Because you have been my help, therefore in the shadow of your wings, I will rejoice. So David longed, obviously, to be alone with the Lord. And he uses the picture of the chick under its mother's wing, uh, in the shadow of her wings. And so, because that was a place of refuge, it was a place of safety, it was a place of comfort. 
And it was, it was a place, uh, a picture of the nearness that David longed for to be with the Lord, to be hidden with the Lord. And whether he was in the temple or whether he was meditating on his bed at night, he was coming before the Lord himself, communing from his heart with the living God. In Matthew 6, our Lord Jesus said, when you pray, he's teaching us to pray in that passage, when you pray, go into your room, some, some uh, versions call it a closet, go into your room, it was a private place, and when you have shut your door, pray to your father who is in the secret place, and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. We saw that in, in uh, Hebrews 11 this morning. God will reward us openly because he's a God of grace. When we do that, when we take that action, that discipline, this place where no one can hear us but him. Psalm 91 verse one says, he who dwells in the secret place of the most high, drawing near to the most high, shall abide under the shadow of the almighty. And David said in Psalm 62, 62 truly my soul silently waits for God, for from him comes my salvation. So David, again, had the practice of his soul silently waiting for God. And later in Psalm 62, he, as he often did, he spoke to himself and he said, my soul, listen up. He said, my soul, wait silently for God alone, for my expectation is from him. My hope is from him. It is good to wait upon the Lord so in Psalm 46, the psalmist begins, God is our refuge and strength. You all know this. God is our refuge and strength. And then in verse 10, the Lord declared, be still and know that I am God. Be still. So he's our refuge. He's our hiding place. He's the only place of true quiet and rest for our souls, no matter what is going on around us. Our, our rest is in him, not so much in a place. I mean, a, a quiet place is, is wonderful, and stillness of soul, I believe, enables us to know him more, to commune with him in a deeper way. Stillness of soul. Jesus could calm the waves, and he can calm your soul to meet with him. Some of you I know are going through, you feel like I am in a storm. And he commanded, and he said, peace, be still, in Mark 4. And then he said, and then it says, as a result of his powerful word, and the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And so as we seek him in quiet, and I believe as we seek him in silence and in solitude, he calms our soul. He calms it by his presence. He calms it by his nearness, and as we are listening and waiting upon him. Even our Lord incarnate needed this time alone with his Father. Mark 1.35 says, you know, Now in the morning, a great while before day, he rose and went out to a lonely place, and there he prayed. It was a lonely place. Some versions say it was a solitary place. There was nobody else around there. He had been healing people most of the night before. And there were likely many people wanting his attention, wanting and needing to be healed. Yet the Lord needed to be alone and quiet with his Father in heaven. Now many, if not most Americans, and I believe many Christians, have a hard time being silent for very long. And especially alone and silent. That's really hard. We don't live in an environment that exactly encourages that. And again, in the Spiritual Disciplines book, in that chapter on silence and solitude, uh, Don Whitney mentioned uh, two men in the scriptures 
he called them the greatest, I think it was his thought, or maybe it's in general, but he said the greatest men under each covenant, Moses and Paul, were both transformed through years of virtual isolation in a remote wilderness. Years of being alone with the Lord. And his observation, Don Whitney's observation then was uh, that we have become, American culture he was talking about, we have become a people with an aversion to quiet and an uneasiness with being alone. So in other words, we're conditioned. We're conditioned to be comfortable with crowds or noise, uh, but not so much with silence and solitude. That discipline seems to be rare. So how many minutes a day do you just sit quietly alone and not feel that you have to do something or you have to listen to something or watch something or play something or read something? I'm not saying that those things are bad, but we also need the discipline of being quiet, especially when we're humbling ourselves before our Lord. And I know it's hard sometimes, especially with little ones scrambling around. But I believe our spiritual health, dear family, needs silence and solitude. You know, you all know Susanna Wesley. She had many children. I don't think she had a big house. They were all probably in one room. You know what she did? You remember? She had, uh, well, it's, they called it an apron, but it was very large, and she, like a tent almost, but she'd pull it over her head. And that was only way, and I think, though, my understanding is the kids knew that is mom's time with the Lord Jesus. Don't bother her. It's an interesting picture. So they learned not to bother her. They gave her a time of solitude. It's an interesting way to find solitude. Uh, I don't know what's comparable for you all. Uh, I don't know if that might be a little awkward, but, um, you know, think about that. Solitude is very necessary, I believe, even for our mental health. And I believe children can and should learn to appreciate uh, times of quiet, times of silence. It's okay. Our kids did. Ask Josh. I don't think he always enjoyed it, but uh, we had a quiet time. We had a quiet time every day. There it was. He would rather have been doing something else, but mom needed a quiet time, and it was, a good, it was good for him. So when we worship the Lord together here, um, we should be active. We are active here in singing and in speaking the scriptures together, uh, active in listening, active in coming to the table. And yet we also have times of quiet. You may not have noticed it much. Uh, I think I've shared this a few times in the past, but uh, even during this time of corporate worship, brief times of silence are, are very uh, needed, I think. It's at the beginning of the service. We have a quiet time then. Uh, during our time of confession and as we wait for the elements, as you wait for the elements and as the men are waiting um, and after we partake of the elements, there are brief times of silence in our corporate worship. Brief yet important. And those are times to be silent and in a sense experience solitude even as a body of saints, even for a short time. Regarding this, Jonathan Edwards said, Jonathan Edwards said, some are greatly affected. Now, he used that word by being uh, emotionally moved. Their, Their affections were involved. He said, some people are greatly affected when in company, but have nothing that bears any manner of proportion to it in secret. 
in close meditation, in prayer and conversing with God when alone and separated from the world. A true Christian doubtless delights in religious fellowship and Christian conversation and finds much to affect his heart, to move him. But he also delights at times to retire from all mankind, to converse with God in solitude. And this also has peculiar advantages for fixing his heart and engaging his affections so that his affections are right. True religion disposes persons to be much alone in solitary places. And Jonathan Edwards practiced that consistently for holy meditation and prayer. It is the nature of true grace in a believer, however it loves Christian society in its place, to delight in retirement and secret converse with God. It should be what we do, what we should long for. And during the week, we don't have ourselves, a regular liturgy, maybe necessarily in our quiet times, <clears throat> or a plan, maybe, uh, as we do uh, on the Lord's Day. But in our daily quiet time, uh, we might be affected. We might be pressured. We might be, feel some pressure uh, of what must be done today. Oh, this must be done. Or possibly we are not even comfortable uh, being alone that much. We just haven't practiced it, even with the Lord. And I believe we become better listeners to others around us as we learn to listen so, and not feel compelled to speak so much during our, part, at least part of our time, our quiet time with the Lord Jesus, sitting at the feet of Jesus, like Mary. In Desiring God, the desiringgod.org, uh, there was a survey and it noted that 8,000 of its readers uh, said 54% check their, smart, their phones within minutes of waking up. I'm not saying that's a sin. But this one is a little more problematic. More than 70% checked email and social media before their spiritual disciplines. If I remember, this article was on mostly the discipline of devotions. So that was their go-to right away. Again, I'm not making a law Sometimes it's necessary. You have to have quiet times later uh, in the day. You have no choice, maybe. Maybe after breakfast or after the kids have begun their schoolwork or whatever. But in general, as a habit, meeting with the Lord near the beginning of the day can set your heart and your mind on Him before the needs of the day come flooding in. And may we be more like Mary and choose to be quiet with the Lord and trust in Him to help get all those things done that must be done that the tyranny of the urgent would not be that which controls us. There's a little booklet I've shared before. You can get that at university. It's called The Tyranny of the Urgent. So silence and solitude are disciplines that we must seek to develop, especially as we uh, meet with with the Lord. And again, related to disciplines, the establishment, this is from Alistair Begg, he said the establishment of holy habits in other words, discipline, and today I'm talking about the discipline of silence and solitude, the establishment of holy habits is not legalism. It is imperative to spiritual wholeness. David Mathis, uh, back to, he's the executive editor of uh, DesiringGod.org. He said in an article, I read this a long time ago, but it was called Take a Break from Chaos. And he said, it's surprising how loud silence can be. The point of practicing silence as a spiritual discipline is not 
so we can hear God's audible voice, but so we can be less distracted and better hear him speak with even greater, greater clarity in his word. And Don Whitney used a strong word. He used a word, addiction. And this is what he said. Many of us need to realize the addiction we have to noise. And he said, I believe the, the convenience of sound has contributed to the spiritual shallowness of contemporary Western Christianity. It's affecting us all. We don't even know how to be quiet. And it makes us shallow. And he also, he had some really good observations in that chapter. I, I would recommend it. But he said, one of the costs of technological advancement is a greater temptation to avoid quietness. It's a means of avoidance. While we have broadened, he said, our intake of news and information of all kinds, these advantages may, advantages may come at the expense of our spiritual depth. So he's talking about depth if we do not practice silence and solitude. And he said, the worship of God does not always require words, sounds, or actions. Sometimes worship or devotions consists of God-focused stillness and hush. And we talked about stillness in some verses previously. God has commanded us to be still. Jim Elliot said, I think the devil made it his business to monopolize on three elements, noise, hurry, and crowds. Satan is quite aware of the power of silence. And our enemy does not want the discipline of daily quiet times, for sure, with the Lord to be developed, to be disciplined. And our own flesh avoids it, too, as it does other disciplines, any discipline which leads to godliness. In uh, Phil's booklet, I think there are many back there, an hour of prayer, a practical guide to 12 kinds of prayer. I would recommend you pick that up. If you have not prayed for an hour or ever prayed for an hour, uh, you'll be surprised how quickly uh, that time goes. It's divided into 12 segments, five segments, five minute segments. And it's a great, great blessing. And one of those five minute seg- segments is called Wait Upon the Lord. You're not speaking. You're waiting. It's five minutes of silence to listen for, uh, as Phil said, impressions leading to a time to wait for God to manifest his personal presence in any way that he chooses. So you're not working through a plan, you're waiting upon God. Psalm 37, 7 says, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Now, first time you do that, you might think, five minutes. I'm not sure if I can do that. You will find that you can, and you will delight in it. Wait quietly without feeling you need to do something or you need to be active. A few other ways, just practical ways, in terms of your quiet time, your devotional, uh, in in order to keep it quiet and solitary and and focused on the Lord, uh, one thing I think in terms of discipline, you have to make it regular. If it's all over the map, and some of you don't have that option, but regularity helps Uh, You have to be consistent at it. In fact, I think you have to fight for it. You have to guard your time. You have to guard this time to be with the Lord. So make it regular. Have a paper or, you know, you you all use your phones, but I have paper next to me. So if something comes, I write it down. I don't want it to bother me. Um, 
I don't have the copy up here, but read Gentle and Lowly. I was telling Ray this morning that uh, about three years ago, I was praying, and Lord, I'm not delighting in you as I have or as I long to, as I know you want me to. And I was not content with that situation. And I prayed, uh, lead me to a book that'll help exegete some scriptures that I, Lord, really need in my life. And it was very soon after that that I saw an ad for Gentle and Lowly. It had just come out, Gentle and Lowly. Again, I believe most of you have that book. I would encourage you. It will greatly bless you. Of course, you can always pray through the Valley of Vision. I like to do that uh, in the beginning of my quiet times to get my heart going. And if possible, throughout the day, even take uh, a few minutes here or there to uh, turn the gaze of your soul upon the Lord Jesus. Develop a habit to do that also. And then this one I have not done very recently, but I long to do it, is plan for some extended times alone with the Lord. Not five minutes, but hours or hour. And for, help your spouse have that kind of time also. We used to do that. And you know, she would go for half a day and I'd go for half a day. It was wonderful. So in 1 Kings 19, the Lord spoke with uh, Elijah the prophet. And I'm reading verses 11 and 12, if you want to look at that. 1 Kings 19, uh, 19 verse 11. <clears throat> then he, that is the Lord, said, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. To Elijah. And he obeyed. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. The Lord is mighty and powerful. He can do all those things. He can break rocks with wind. And he is awesome. He is to be feared like a huge wind or a violent earthquake or consuming fire. He is a consuming fire. And yet, I believe he usually communes with us personally with a still, small voice. And you have to be quiet in that case, I believe. Quietness will enable you to listen. And then he will lead through his spirit and his word as you wait upon him. Charles Spurgeon commented, uh, his commentary in 1 Kings 19 was very interesting. And he noted that Elijah really, his whole life was a continual storm. Not just the one there, he, he was in a storm his whole life. And you may feel like that too, right now. And Spurgeon said, it is a sight such as angels delight to behold when a person bows before the Most High and listens to his great father's voice and then pours out to his father all his heart without attempting to hide anything from him. This is never produced. This is the point. This, Spurgeon said, this is never produced. This action, this heart, is never produced by whirlwind, fire, or earthquake. It is the effect of the voice of gentle silence for God is in it. The Spirit works in the solemn silence of a soul subdued by love. Amen. May it be so for us. Not by might, nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. Habakkuk 2, verse 20. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. In awe. Zephaniah 1, 7. Be silent in the presence of the Lord God. 
Ecclesiastes uh, chapter five, verse two. Do not be rash with your mouth and let not your heart utter anything hastily before God. For God is in heaven and you on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. So I encourage you all to plan, to discipline yourselves in seeking the Lord in silence and solitude. And that was my prime point of this sermon. I, I would like to finish with just two brief points. But that was my main point. May you know that joy of silence and solitude. Verse six of our passage says, and now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. Therefore, I will offer sacrifices of joy. Again, joyful shouts in his tabernacle. I will sing. Yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. You can do that when you're alone too. Praise God, we have victory over our enemy, all our enemies. We have been saved by the Lord Jesus. And so our heads are lifted up. That means honored above our enemies. And so now, rightly, we can and we should offer sacrifices of joy. And so in our devotions, along with silence, we can offer sacrifices of joy with our voice and sing praises of joy to our king. And a question I've been asking for years, uh, the men that I uh, meet with during man-to-man times, is are you increasing in your joy in the Lord? Are you increasing in that? Are you increasing in your uh, joy in your devotional time? Almost everybody I talk to, praise God, are consistent in their devotional times, in their quiet time, whatever they call that. And yet, many have admitted, honestly, that they are not sure they are growing in seeking the Lord with that kind of joy in more consistently enjoying communion with him at a deeper level, at the heart level. Verse seven says, hear, O Lord, when I cry. David said, hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. Have mercy also upon me and answer me. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, Lord, I will seek. A responsive faith and hunger. And we can, like David, cry out to the Lord to hear our requests for hearts like that, for hearts like that that seek the Lord always, that seek his face and are not content if they are not meeting with him. This seeking of the Lord, that which can satisfy the longing of our soul, the thirst that we have because of the the Holy Spirit in us, is possible because the Lord died for us and he rose in victory over sin and death. Praise God. Proverbs 8, 17, we've read in our covenant readings this morning, I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently will find me. Claim that promise. Those who seek me diligently will find me. And so as we seek him diligently, and as we discipline ourselves to do so, we can find him, praise God, and we can learn to enjoy his presence in silence and solitude. So dear saint, the Lord is calling you to seek his face. And so may your hearts cry, be, and may your action be, your face, Lord, I will seek. Let's pray. Lord, we, we come to you seeking, seeking you even now. Oh, Lord, keep us from being people who honor you just with our lips, who have hearts from you, far from you. Lord, we long to be thirsty for you and to enjoy your presence, to delight in you. Oh Lord, keep us from dry formalism 
And Lord, we pray, expand our ability to drink more of you, to be filled with your spirit. Fill us, we pray, so that we will pant after you and never be content with the communion we have with you now. And we praise God, we praise you for that now. Because you have told us to seek you and to long for you in an ever-increasing desire. Lord, we ask this because Jesus Christ died for us and rose again and sent your Holy Spirit to make us thirsty for you. And we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our King. Amen.